This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome into the Pipeline Podcast presented by John Deere. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. Of course, we're going to talk more about the draft, who's kind of on the move as we get into the last couple of rounds or last couple of weeks leading up to the draft, guys. Um, But before that, we kind of have some breaking news here on the podcast. As we record this on Thursday, it has become clear that Julio Urias, the Dodgers' number one prospect, one of the top prospects in the entire game, is set to make his major league debut on Friday night. He's going to do it in the Big Apple against the New York Mets. Um, Plenty of historic context here. We can get into what this guy has on the mound, but he's the first 19-year-old to pitch for the Dodgers since Fernando Valenzuela. And, Jim, we had talked a little bit about this before. There's a lot more than that as far as the history of it and a 19-year-old pitching in the major leagues. Yeah, there's all kinds of interesting facts about it. I mean, first 19-year-old to pitch for the Dodgers since Fernando in 1980, but the first 19-year-old to start for the Dodgers since the immortal Dick Kalmus in 1963 before any of us were born. Although, if you go back a little further, both Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale made their first starts as Dodgers at age 19. He's the first, he'll be the first 19-year-old to start a game in the major leagues since uh, Felix Hernandez. And in the last five starting pitchers who were younger than Arias at the time of their debuts, according to Ken Gernick, a little note on this this morning on our site, it's Felix Hernandez, Todd Van Poppel, Wilson Alvarez, Dwight Gooden, and Britt Burns. So a very, very interesting group of names there. And, I mean, aside from just the historical standpoint, I mean, this guy has been regarded as the best lefty pitching prospect in baseball for a couple of years. It, it, it's going to be fun to get him to finally get a chance to show what he can do at the big league level. Uh, he has zoomed through the minor leagues, obviously, to get to the big leagues at 19 uh, years old. And, Jonathan, the numbers – uh, stand out. He's been dominant. He's been maybe more dominant this year at AAA than he was at the lower levels. What is it about Urias that makes him so good on the hill? I mean, it's just a combination of really good stuff and and really good command of that stuff. Uh, you don't always see the two together, especially at, at such a young age. Uh, you know, yeah, he's not not the biggest guy in the world, but it really doesn't matter at all. He's got a good delivery. Um, you know, he, he number receiver from this year, eight walks and 44 strikeouts and 41 innings. And last year he got up to AAA, and it was maybe the only time he's struggled in the minors. So clearly it didn't take him very long to make any adjustments. He was ready to hit the ground running this year. And he just, I mean, we're, we're talking, uh, you know, if you look at the grades we have on Prospect Watch, it's a 65 fastball, 60 curve, and a 60 changeup. Uh, and a 55 control, and, and maybe that's being conservative. You know, if you'd given him sixes across the board, Jim, I don't think I would have blinked. Um, 
you know, and Jim has been calling for him to get called up since he was in preschool. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he finally gets finally gets his wish. But he's had the kind of stuff where they could have brought him up as a, as a lefty out of the bullpen in a playoff race, and he could have gotten big league hitters out, uh, you know, for a shorter stint, knowing that he's a starter uh, all the way. And now I think. The only thing you know that remains to be seen is, you know, is this going to be a short-term fill-in kind of deal, or is he going to pitch so well that he's going to force his way into into the rotation for good? And that's what makes this interesting, right? Because here's a guy who who hasn't thrown a ton of innings, as good as he's been uh, throughout his minor league career. And at some point, you got to kind of hold him back. You don't want him to to throw too many innings this year. So, Jim, it, you know, what would be your approach in this situation? Because um, He's going to start now, but if he's as good as he's been in the minors at the major league level, you'd like to have this guy around in some capacity in September and hopefully October. Yeah, you would. I don't think as good as he is, and no matter if he comes out and throws three no-hitters in a row, I don't think there's any way he stays in the Dodgers rotation all season just from an inning standpoint. They have tried to handle him extremely carefully, tight pitch counts, tight innings counts, even scheduled, he had you know cosmetic surgery to remove a benign mass uh, near his left eye last year during the season as a way to keep his innings down. He's never pitched more than 87 and two-thirds innings in a season, and that was back in 2014. Um, he only pitched 68 innings last year. I can't imagine he's going to pitch more than 100 or 120 innings this year. So I think what we'll see is I think he will start. And then, depending on the needs, and then they have a bunch of injured pitchers coming back, he may either head back to AAA, or if they need him for more than, than three starts, stay in the big leagues a little bit longer as a starter. But I think at some point in the middle of this season, they will transition him to the bullpen in order to be able to use him down the stretch. I mean, and as Johnson said, and I meant this seriously, I mean, the last two years, even though he was, even when he was 17, and he was tearing up high class A but hadn't pitched above that level, I would have called him up in September. You know, let him pitch, you know, six or seven innings in relief that September and then possibly used him in the playoffs if he'd look good. And then with the stuff he has that Johnson was describing, there's no reason he didn't have the weapons to survive in the big leagues at that point. I really think he could help the Dodgers out of the pen the last two years. They aren't getting a lot. They have three lefties on their roster right now in their bullpen, only one of whom's pitching well. I think this guy can really help him down the stretch as a reliever, even if you are trying to cap his innings around 100 or 120 this year. Yeah, you would think they want to avoid the Steven Strasburg situation where, where you're shutting this guy down. Now, I know Jim wanted to rush this guy to the major leagues, Jonathan, but, I mean, even though he's 19 years old, it's fair to say the Dodgers didn't really rush him, right? Because at each level, he kind of outplayed the competition to the point where they kind of they had no choice but to move him on to the next level. Right. I mean, it, it, as much as they have been very conservative in terms of his innings, and limiting that and not pushing him uh, you know, too quickly, we always knew that he was going to be the kind of pitcher that would sort of force their hand. And they're just, you know, certain guys every once in a while who, you know, do things like make their major league debut at, at 19 uh, as a starting pitcher. And as Jim ticked off it, it doesn't happen all that often. And, uh, you know, He's pitched so well in AAA that when there was a need, it kind of became obvious uh, that he should be the guy, you know, unless uh, there was concern, you know, you don't want to bring him up for Super 2 status. That's not typically the kind of thing the Dodgers uh, concern themselves with. 
but uh, yeah, he 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 definitely kind of started knocking on the door uh, so loudly that they kind of had to let him in. Now, obviously, he gets the start on on Friday night, um, partially because of injury. Alex Wood uh, unable to go. Uh, kind of, we luck out here at MLB.com because the Dodgers Mets game happens to be our MLB Plus game this week. So some bonus coverage and a look at Urias from a Statcast standpoint. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I get to actually host that, so I'm excited. We went from Alex Wood versus Jacob Degrom to Julio Urias making his major league debut against Jacob Degrom at City Field. That said, guys, any surprise? I know the injury was part of this, but you have a, a young kid, 19 years old, making that major league debut, and he's going to do it in New York City with with all the extra. I mean, I granted he plays for the Dodgers, so if it was at home, there'd be plenty of media. But I feel like it's going to be a bigger event and maybe more—I don't want to say pressure, but more attention on him being in New York. Do you think the Do Dodgers had any thoughts about that or any concerns? Not really. I mean, he's young enough to maybe it won't even phase him. But, I mean, you know, one, I think everybody has some sort of jitters when they get to the big league. Sometimes pitchers try to do a little too much. But, I mean, you know, honestly, you know, if this guy's going to be a star, he should be a star. He's going to be put in some pressure situations. So, you know, yes, there's pressure because it's the Mets. It's a national TV game. It's, but it's also May. So, you know, if you're thinking about possibly using this guy in October – why not throw him into the fire right away? Are you guys going to be locked in for to watch that one and see what this guy can do? I assume. No, we're going to have to, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I was going to say, Absolutely. even if you weren't uh, writing for MLBPipeline.com and everything you guys do, this just seems like it's going to be kind of a an event-type game with, with him making his debut and the kind of stuff he has. It should be a lot of fun. All right, let's move on. Let's transition from Urias into the draft, which is now just a couple of weeks away, and, and the, uh, the mock drafts continue to come out. Jim, you had the latest mock draft. Um, uh, uh, some changes from, from Jonathan's mock draft from, from the previous week. So let's kind of go through um, what's kind of changed in each of your minds in that top three to five picks. But also this is a time of year where, where these college pitchers, at least, are making – Big starts in postseason action, a lot of them in, in their conference tournaments. Um, Jonathan, I want to start with you. How much can a college player or pitcher, position player or pitcher, help himself by just having a big postseason run here leading up to the draft? You know, it's, it's one of those things where you don't want to oversell you know, or, or blow up too much what one start means. But I think especially this year where there are so many questions about so many guys, uh, finishing strongly uh, is huge. Uh, and so if a guy can come up with a big start, it, it's really going to help him. I mean, I think you're looking right at the top. A.J. Puck is a guy who has, uh, you know, been mentioned as the number one pick for a long time. Uh, I think Jim and I both agree that, uh, you know, he was the guy that the Phillies wanted to kind of run away and be the slam dunk pick, and he hasn't done that. And he went out and was absolutely ridiculous uh, against LSU uh, in the SEC tournament, in his SEC tournament start uh, with a whole lot of people. 
from the teams at the very top. He was 94 to 97 with the plus slider throughout the game, pitched exceedingly well. That's going to help cement him in place. Uh, if not, you know, it's too early to say he's definitely going to be the number one pick. But uh, I, any chance of him sliding probably went out the door with that start. And, and throughout the conference tournaments, there have been a bunch of guys who have really helped themselves. Um, Cody Sedlock pitched into the 10th inning and struck out 12 for Illinois. Uh, that helps him uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, kind of across the board, a guy a little bit further down who sort of has been intriguing to me at Maryland, Mike, uh, you know, Jim, you're going to have to help me with his pronunciation because I never get it right, but it's Shawar. Actually, Tim, you probably did the voiceover. Tim Shawaring. <laughs> that's what I went with, so hopefully that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just staying out of it. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the good. I, I think it might be doing He was in the top 50 in the fall, and then the beginning of the spring, his stuff really backed up. He had had, you know, heavy workloads his first two years, uh, but he pitched well as a freshman and a sophomore, uh, and then he pitched well over the summer. Kind of a funky arm action uh, slot, a little bit different, and so that concerned people too. And he was struggling, and then his last three starts uh, have been better, capped off with his uh, Big Ten tournament start against, um, I think it was against uh, Indiana. He... uh, I'll have to double-check on that. But anyway, it was in the tournament starting, he struck out 16 and uh, was absolutely dominant. And I talked to a, uh, a cross-checker who saw him and, um, <laughs> and said he, he may have doubled his value uh, over the last three starts from where he was. And this was a guy who was free-falling, and he's really righted the ship. So, yeah, there, you know, like I said, you don't you don't want to overblow it, but there are certain guys where I think it has a, a tremendous impact on their stock. Yeah, and I don't I don't think you can really overblow it because there's something to be said. Even though scouts will tell you, and they don't try to, hey, we're not we we don't scout performance. There's something to be said when the guy performs, especially in front of the scouting director who's going to be making that call in the first round. And I mean, you don't override the reports you have all season. But, you know, if if you're the scouting director and you see these guys stand out, I mean, especially at the ACC or SEC tournament where there's a number of players and a bunch of the scouting directors and cross-checkers go, that's tremendous. I just want to throw in one more guy who I think helped himself, although he didn't really do anything new. I mean, Eric Lauer at the Mid-American Conference tournament yesterday threw a four-hit shutout against Eastern Michigan. He, in the last, I'm, I'm doing this math, my last 12 starts, he has, he has given up three earned runs, Total. There's a no hitter in there. There's six double strikeout games in there. ZRA is now down to 0.69 uh, for the season. Uh, and you know, I mean, for these college pitchers, as Johnson was alluding to, you know, Puck's been inconsistent, but he was clearly the top guy. And after that, it's kind of a mishmash in how you sort these guys out. I, I kind of feel like Cody Sidlock and Eric Lauer are a little underrated. Well, you know, anybody who's seeing them at their conference tournaments this week. They aren't going to underrate them, but, you know. You know, after seeing what these guys have done, you know, Sedlock's been good all season long. He, he's broken Illinois' strikeout record, which is held by former first-round pick John Eriks. And you know, if you see these guys good, it really helps. You know, similarly, I know there were a lot of scouts disappointed just on the based on the results of playing games that you didn't get one more look at, at Georgia's Robert Tyler because Georgia went one game and out in the SEC tournament, and then Justin Dunn for Boston College because his team went out one one game and out in the ACC tournament. But, yeah, it, it, it seems like it shouldn't matter, but it really does. I mean, it would have been very interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll get to talking about who's going to go where 
shortly. But, like, if A.J. Puck had come out and had one of his inconsistent outings from the beginning of the season where he wasn't commanding his stuff, you know, then you, you would maybe, you know, throw that number one pick into question, uh, you know, more so than you do now after he came out and pitched so well. Let's start with Puck, Jim, because uh, in your last mock, you had Puck going one to the Phillies, uh, and that was before his last outing that Jonathan described that he was just, he was great, phenomenal, uh, all the stuff that, you know, the Phillies want to see. So I assume that if you were there right now, you still think Puck number one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've written this about eight different ways, and I think I actually wrote it again. <laughs> Another version of this for the, the lead to the Pipeline Inbox today on our website I think that's the guy all season long the Phillies have wanted to say, I'm the number one pick. And, and I think Puck did that emphatically last night. I, and I just want to point out, just that I think my mock draft from last week was so good that I think Jonathan's just going to be borrowing from it, especially at the top this week. That's, that's how good no, it was not, last week. And that's two weeks ago, Jonathan said the same thing. So, Jonathan, yeah, um, well, go ahead. Two weeks ago, I had Kyle, I had Kyle Lewis at one and Puck at two. Yeah, I, I just mixed it up a little bit, but uh, I, I'm I'm more complaining because I'm working on the on the next mock and and uh, Jim knows who I have at the top, so it's not like he's suddenly Kreskin. I'm just deducing you know? <laughs> that. I can just sense that. So. Uh huh. Because I told you. <laughs> uh oh. All right. Separate you guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we won't but, give yeah. away. Uh, what's that, Jonathan? Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, but it, it, uh, we, we deviate from each other after, after the top, so it, it's, quite, it's quite all right. All right, well, we're not going to give away your next no. upcoming mock, but there's still time before that happens, so we can kind of hint around a little bit, I guess. So I won't ask you about number one because I've deduced that where you may be heading, but uh, <laughs> let's say Puck goes one like, John, like uh, Jim has in, in his last mock draft. When you look at right. two in the Reds, who I know also like Puck, but if he's not there, who do you like as a possibility there? Who, who are the biggest contenders right now for the Reds at two minus Puck? If, if, yeah, with Puck off the board, uh, you know, I think they're, they're looking at Kyle Lewis from Mercer, the outfielder. Uh, they're looking at Delvin Perez, the, the high school shortstop from Puerto Rico. Uh, but it seems that uh, just like Jim had last week, and hey, good info is good info. Uh, Nick Senzel from Tennessee is is probably uh, at the top of their list. Should Puck go one, um, uh, just uh, he is that uh, the kind of college hitter that they do often like to take, um, and uh, he has certainly uh, hit well lately down the stretch. Uh, in SEC play, and that uh, this is a guy who was already very well thought of, uh, and the fact that he's swung a hot bat down the stretch, you know, listen, it's human nature, even talking about the conference attorneys like we were, that last impression that you get, it's, it's only human that that's what sticks in your mind. So the fact that he's been hitting so well uh, certainly helps him. So, Jim, uh, the Reds, seemingly do like Puck, but then all the other guys we've discussed here as far as they go are position players. Do they hold Puck in that higher regard above all the other arms that are available that they, it's either him at two or they go a different direction? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they might still be intrigued by one of the hitters if Puck was there. They, they would consider yeah. Puck strongly, but that's just the way this draft is setting up, and we've talked about it before. 
the top two prospects on, on the top 100 that Jonathan and I have put together, and we'll have a new top 200 out next week, are two high school pitchers in Jason Groom and Riley Pine. And we've, we've both written this multiple times that the Phillies at one and the Reds at two, I don't think the entire spring have shown any interest in taking a high school pitcher with those picks. Um, I mean, I personally – and my job doesn't depend on picking the right guy, and I'm not going to get fired if I, if I throw a million dollars away. I would take both those guys over Puck personally, but the teams would rather take a college arm than worry about the risk with the high school arm. Um, so, yeah, if the Reds take a pitcher, it's going to be Puck or no one else. But, I, you know, assuming Puck goes one, I think they prefer Senzel to Kyle Lewis. They actually, you know, Senzel, I don't know if the Reds were out of the game in force, but Senzel hit a long home run off of Puck. Um, when Puck had a bad start against Florida a couple weeks ago, uh, that, that that helped him a little bit more. But I, I think the hitter, they, you know, we've heard Senzel tied to the Reds even going back to early March, and, and I just think you know, sure it could be Kyle Lewis. I, I've heard some Delvin Perez, the Puerto Rican shortstop, in there too. But I, I think Senzel's our guy if Puck goes one. All right, the Braves are picking third, and the Braves have added yet another pick into their uh, collection uh, this week with actually a trade with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, they took on the, the money in Brian Mattis's contract and basically paid that. That money basically is what they were willing to, to give up for a pick. So they've added even more. But at number three, their first pick, Jonathan, I'll go back to you. Um, you know, pucks off the board, but then you have that, that cluster of guys. Are they looking at that same group as the Reds? Uh, yeah, I don't think that uh, that they're in on uh, Delvin Perez necessarily. Uh, they have, you know, a, they it, have some shortstops in their system. They do. They do. <laughs> uh, quite a few, in fact. So, uh, you know, Kyle Lewis does seem to make the most sense. I think two weeks ago I went with Jason Groom. I don't think that's completely out of the question, but it, it seems, you know, seems to me that they're backing away from that a little bit. Uh, you know, there was some desire uh, to you know, continue to go with upside, the sort of how they've uh, drafted of late, sort of getting back to the quote-unquote Braves way of old. Um, but, you know, Kyle Lewis, even though he's a college guy, does have some tools. And especially if you think he can stay up the middle and be a center fielder, then, uh, then all the more reason to, to consider taking him at number three. Jim, you had the same idea, right, that they, they would consider one of those high school arms, but in your mock draft from last week, you do have Lewis as well. Yeah, I think it's a tough call. I mean, I think Pine has one. I think they clearly prefer Riley Pine to Jason Groom. I don't think Jason Groom's going number three, the Braves, in any scenario. And I think, they're, they're, I think in a way they'd like to take Pine there and go for the highest upside guy, but – there's so many high school pitchers in this draft, talented high school pitchers who belong in the first round, maybe not number three. They're all not going to go in the first round. And I think what the Braves are hoping for is that one of those guys or a couple of those guys fall to number 40 and then get an upside high school arm there. I mean, the name who gets mentioned the most is a potential guy who could drop. Although you got the Phillies pick. And the Reds, I think, pick at 35 and the Phillies pick at 42, and they kind of have the same strategy perhaps. But the name I hear the most is Joey Wentz, for the Kansas left-hander, is a guy who might fall down that far. And so I think we, what you're more, because the Braves need position help, you know, outside of Swanson and Albies, they don't have a lot of position players who are going to make an impact in the near future in their system. I, I think they're more apt to go for that college bat at three and then hope to get the, the high school pitcher with upside probably at pick number 40. I, I'm a little torn. 
Uh, and I don't know if you if you're leaning one way or the other, Jonathan. But if Senzel and Lewis were both on the board, the Braves. I, I'm not real clear which guy they'd prefer. Although I'm I'm starting to sense it might be Senzel. I think it is Senzel. Um, uh, you know, not with any huge certainty, and there might. I think there's a a split camp uh, on that. You know, probably we just even within that draft room in Atlanta. So, uh, but yeah, I think they do have a slight edge since uh, over Lewis. After that, guys, it seems like if Lewis goes three, the way you have it, uh, Jim, in your mock draft uh, is Moniac four and Corey Ray five. Are we going to see a little run, little run on outfielders there? Um, we could. I mean, I think it's all fluid. You know, I wrote those three weeks ago, so I, I doubt I got the first five picks right three weeks before the draft. But, you know, I mean, there's some talk. I mean, if, if the Phillies didn't go for Puck, I think Moniac might be their plan B at number one. Um, uh, Corey Ray, you know, it, 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 it'll be interesting to see because you, you may have, you know, at some point these high school pitchers do have to get picked, and maybe these teams will start popping the high school pitchers. Um, you know, Delvin Perez is also an interesting guy, too. You hear a lot of Delvin Perez to the Brewers at five. I could see that as well. I think Moniac's can go pretty good. That Brewers pick it was was very fluid when I was writing that, and I think that could have gone in about six different directions. So, Jonathan, four and five is when things kind of start to hit that gray area. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can make the argument that the gray area <laughs> <Or> starts <one>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right away. Uh, you know, there seems to be at least some general consensus that Pucks and Zellin Lewis. Of the top three, but as Jim pointed out, you know the Phillies could decide to go Moniac, and then who knows, you know, if what happens from there. Um, you know, any of those guys, I think, you know, Jason Groom, Delvin Perez, Mickey Moniac, uh, Corey Ray, uh, even you know Riley Pint. These are all guys that could go in the in the top six or seven picks or so. So it's, uh, it is definitely interesting trying to, to sort it out and, and take your best guess as of right now who's going to go where. All right. Uh, last thing I wanted to, to take a stab at with you guys. Uh, we talked about college players in their conference tournaments and, and helping out their stock, but I just wanted each of you to kind of give me a name or two as far as helium goes beyond those guys. Other guys that are really, uh, I just really wanted to use the word helium in the podcast, but uh, other guys that are maybe skyrocketing or, or shooting up boards right now uh, for maybe different reasons than that. But, Jim, I'll let you go first. Um, one or two guys that, that you like helium-wise? Yeah, I'll throw out two guys uh, from, from my half of the country. Um, Jonathan and I both have encountered a lot of people talking up Gavin Lux, a high school shortstop from Wisconsin, as a potential first-round pick. I mean, he's, he's clearly the second-best shortstop behind Delvin Perez in a bad year for shortstops in the draft. He's a guy who can legitimately stay at the position. His tools have gotten better. I mean, he's a teenager, so he's still getting, you know, getting better, obviously, but he's stronger. His swing looks better. He's gotten quicker. His arm looks stronger. I mean, you're now looking at a guy who, who could probably hold his own offensively shortstop and have, you know, solid, you know, speed and defensive tools as well. And I think the lack of shortstops and his improvement is pushing him into the first round. And, you know, I talked to a team the other day that was telling me that some of their scouts said that, that Sheldon Noisy at Oklahoma might be the best college hitter in this draft. Um, and that's, that's certainly not the consensus. I mean, pure hitter would be Senzel. Power hitter would be Kyle Lewis. 
you know, Corey Ray's pretty good in, in both regards. But, you know, in a year that, that's short on college bats, especially, you know, college bats with some defensive value, I think Noisy could sneak into the first round. Had a great year. Um, he, he's changed his swing and his approach this year. They've gotten a lot better. He's not going to stay at shortstop, but he's got a plus arm. He's been clocked up to 94 as a reliever. Um, I think he could fit the third base profile and hit for power and average. And, you know, the more I look at it, you know, if you're looking at guys who, who, who can play, you know, something besides, say, first base or left field college bat-wise, he might be about the the fourth best player once you get past the, the big three we've been talking about. So he could sneak into the first round as well. How about you, Jonathan? Uh, I mean, Matt Manning is the guy who, who is coming up the most, and he's it's almost the point now we're saying he has helium. We're past that point now. I mean, he's the guy who's being mentioned in, as a potential top ten pick. Uh, high school right-hander from Northern California whose dad played in the NBA, uh, tall and athletic, uh, a lot of upside potential, not a lot of mileage on the arm uh, because he played basketball also. Uh, so a, a lot of good things happening there. And then the one other high school guy, uh, and I agree, by the way, with Gavin Lux. Uh, I've been hearing his name uh, you know, steadily sort of moving up you know, because once you have a guy who shows that he actually can play shortstop uh, and, and looks like he can handle the bat, then, you know, people are going to become interested. So don't be surprised to see him a little bit higher up on my mock coming, uh, coming up soon. Uh, the one other guy that I sort of am keeping an eye on is Ian Anderson from upstate New York. Uh, he's, he's been a first-round candidate all along, but, uh, you know, because of the weather, and then he had uh, pneumonia, it uh, it really kind of knocked him down a peg or two, and he's come back. He threw well his last start. He's got another one uh, coming as as we are recording this podcast, and uh, he could sort of creep back up. Uh, I've heard a couple of interesting rumors with him uh, higher up, you know, you know, some sort of uh, deal kind of capacity, uh, you know. And that would mean it would have to be, you know, very, very top. And that's that's something we'll have to do for another podcast maybe is how often uh, those kinds of rumors come up compared to how often they actually come to fruition. But with especially with this system in place, will teams really look to, to save money and make deals and, and spread the money around a little bit more? And, I mean, if Anderson throws well, uh, in this in this start, and maybe he's got one more before before draft time. Uh, how high can he come? Could he join that group of, of guys in the first round? All right, guys, great stuff. Jonathan's mock draft comes out soon. The draft, of course, coming up June 9th through the 11th. Coverage on MLB Network and MLB.com of all the picks rounds one through round 40 over the three days. It'll be an exciting time across Major League Baseball. All right, this has been the Pipeline Podcast presented by John Deere. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 